0: If your friends drink a lot, okay, if they just happen to go out and, you know, like to knock back beers, you know, a couple times a week, chances are pretty good you're going to go out and knock back beers every, you know, during the week. If your friends are guys that like to go to the gym and work out a lot, chances are you're going to spend more time in the gym than you are in a bar. It really does come down to the type of people you surround yourself with.
1: Welcome to The In Factor, conversations about how great entrepreneurs started, stumbled and succeeded. I'm Rebecca White, and on today's episode, Jeff Haynes joins us to share some practical advice and insights on how to get started as your own boss and how to finish on top. Jeff is a longtime serial entrepreneur, innovation expert, and current president of Raw Power Pro. Jeff began his career in the marketing department of BMW, working on the highly regarded Ultimate Driving Machine campaign. He loved the challenge, but was driven to become his own boss. Soon after, Jeff joined the first of what would be a string of successful startup ventures spanning the next 30 years. I'm delighted to have Jeff on the podcast today, and I hope you enjoy. Well, Jeff, thank you for joining me here today on InFactor. I'm really excited to have a chance to talk to you. We've had a chance to chat before, and I always love it. And so let me start by just kind of bringing everybody up to speed. From building the first 100% digital production company in Palm Beach County to currently sitting as the president of Raw Power Pro, which produces the most rugged and efficient molar mobile... (laughs) Solar panels today. I can't yeah. talk. You've had great success in business. To what do you attribute this success?
0: I think curiosity and persistence.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, I, I think love that's, that. that's it. Yeah, curiosity because I got involved in in projects and areas that I really didn't have too much of, a, of an expertise in initially. But the persistence that I understood, I can learn. I can learn anything I want to learn. Really, right? So, yeah, I would have to say those are the two because I've had a couple exits. They've all been different. But the commonality between all of them is that I, was, I have the sense of curiosity. I want to know how things work. And then the persistence to not kind of give up when things look a little bit dodgy.
1: Well, you know you're in really good company as an entrepreneur because... Two of, our, two of our sort of entrepreneurial icons or superstars that we think about, Sir Richard Branson, I've heard him say curiosity is like the number one mindset attribute of an entrepreneur. And I know Steve Jobs had a great quote about perseverance. So like I said, True to form for that entrepreneurial mindset. So you must have that. Was this your first company? I mean, what was your first company? how did you get started? Take us back to the beginning. Okay. Who's Jeff and how did Jeff develop into this entrepreneur that's had several successful exits?
0: Okay. All right. Almost quite accidentally, honestly. I got out of, uh, I went to school at the McLaren College of Business and the University of San Francisco. And I was actually there for the Loma Prieta earthquake. That was in October. I got out of school in December and I couldn't find any jobs. At that time, Bank of America had pulled out of San Francisco and went to Vacaville. They were the biggest employer. So I just started sending out resumes right out of school. And I wound up getting a position with BMW of North America in Woodcuff Lake, New Jersey.
1: That's exciting.
0: Oh, it was a dream job. You walk into their amazing white glass building and all the BMW cars were laid out on the, you know, like in the foyer when you walk into the, right. b- into the business. And so it was, a, it was a really great job in as much that I got to work on the Ultimate Driving Machine campaign, which at the time was heralded as really a revolutionary approach to selling cars. And as part of my work, I was an analyst, so I was responsible for the al- working on the allocation of their national media campaign to roll this, this out. And as part of that work, I had to work with the advertising agency in New York City. And, and I went to New York City one day. It wasn't far, right? I was only 15 miles from Manhattan where I was working. And I walked into the ad agency and I realized I'm working in the wrong building. And <laughs> I was so enamored with this ad agency and how cool everybody was. And BMW was, you know, an amazing company, very authoritarian, I suppose. Mm-hmm. You know, I went to work. I sat in my cubicle. I did my assigned work and all mm-hmm. that. So I realized maybe you know, a year into BMW that I might have taken a job that didn't suit me very well. Although I, I liked the challenge of the work, I felt like I really wanted to be doing more. Right, I came out of school with all this vim and vigor that I wanted to change right. the world. I right. had two amazing professors at graduate, in graduate school that really convinced me I can do it. I mean, when people ask me what's the difference between undergrad and graduate school, me personally, graduate school gave me the confidence to know there was no big secret here, right? I had the toolkit, you just have to go out and do it. That's great. So I'm a big proponent actually of advanced degrees for that reason. Anyway, so I realized, oh man, I'm in the wrong place. Great job, great pay, I had a company car. And then one day I got a phone call out of the blue of these guys in Dallas, Texas that I had met my senior year or my my last semester in school. I met them at a trade show and stayed in touch with them because they were doing some really cool consumer products. And got a call out of the blue one day, hey, how would you like to come down and run the marketing for our startup? And back then, I knew so little. I didn't vet the company. I didn't vet who the investors were. I didn't do any of that. I was just like, I'm going to Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> so two, I gave my notice. Two weeks later, I landed in Dallas, and I started working in my first startup.
1: Sometimes
0: naivety no. is the best way, right? You know. Well, you know, I I had gone from the East Coast to
1: California,
0: and that was an amazing trip for me. You know that that change. I think I went to San Francisco just at the right time because I I had left New York. I was in New York for the Koch and Dinkins administrations, and New York was kind of a tough city back then. Mm-hmm. And San Francisco had everything Manhattan had on the third of a scale, but it didn't have the crime. It didn't have a lot of the issues that New York City had back then. So I thought. Wow, this move to to San Francisco was really good for me because it also, it exposed me to to culture that I didn't have in New York. The same ideology in San Francisco that allowed Harvey Milk and, and that contingent to basically live their lives the way they wanted to live them also allowed a guy like me to do what I wanted to do without recrimination, without... Mm-hmm. Uh, so it really, it was a really good time in my personal development to go to San Francisco because... Mm-hmm. It made me more open-minded, really. At yeah. the end of the day, that's what it did. Yeah, And it's still an open-mindedness I carry with me today. So I had such a good experience going to San Francisco. I said, why not Dallas? So I wound up only staying in Dallas for two years because no, no mountains, no ocean. I felt very landlocked. But we did take that company public. And from there on out, I was hooked on entrepreneurialism. It was a lot of work. I worked every single day, Sundays. You know, I worked every day. But... There was a reward at the end of that, and that was when we went public, I got a bunch of stock. And from there, I just could never see myself going back to a corporate environment where my, me personally, again, you know, this is just kind of the way I look at the world. I felt like I was being rented to sit in a desk. For me, work has always been about productivity. And on the few occasions where I kind of popped back into corporate, I always kind of banged heads with some administrators because... On a Friday afternoon, if we had gotten a ton of work done that week, I ran the marketing departments. Uh-huh. I didn't see a problem letting people go home early on a, on a Friday because I had them there 6, 7 o'clock at night during the week sometimes. So to me, I thought, hey, listen, that, that's kind of that would be kind of cool if my boss had said at 3 o'clock on a Friday, you know what, you guys worked your butts off, go home, enjoy the weekend. And I did it twice, and both times I got called into HR and I was lectured <laughs> about how people have to be at work. And it just didn't fit with how I view work. Work for me is about productivity.
1: That's interesting. Yeah, I <clears> love <throat> that. So when you say work is about productivity, are you, are, do you mean it's about getting things accomplished? It doesn't matter how much time or, yeah. or is it? Yeah, okay. And, and how about the role of passion in your work and purpose? Does that also play an important role? And yeah, is, you know,
0: that's a great question because I never looked at it in those terms, but purpose, absolutely. Passion, I've had some companies that I wasn't very passionate about, but I was, I guess, gifted this work ethic from my parents that, you know, if you any, do anything, anything you do, do it well, right? If you to yeah. do something, do it well. So that sense of accomplishment still drives me today in almost everything I do, not just work. It's in my personal relationships. It's in, I'm also a musician, so I play guitar and piano and, so, yeah, if you're going to do it, do it well. And what's amazing is even, I mean, I'm in my 50s, and I still have this idea that I can be, let's say, a much better guitar player than I am. Right. Today. <laughs> and I know the only component there is time on task. Yeah. Really. I, mean, I, yeah. Tell that, I say that to myself all the time. So, yeah. So I would say accomplishment or purpose is, is more important to me than passion, at least where I am right now in, in the career choices. You yeah. know, I've made that production company, the digital production company was all passion, 100% passion. I did it because I just really, really, after working with Amarati and Puris in New York City, I just really wanted to like make commercials and be creative all the time. You know. There's something
1: that. about that creativity process, isn't there? I mean, you almost get a high from that. Yeah, it's it's I you know, I kind of feel like my mom's an artist. And I'm not I'm not but I am creative in other ways. And I, I love that feeling like even with this podcast, it's been such a trip for me, because I love the whole you know, creating and doing something new. And I'm a pianist and I'm the same as you. I, you know, I oh. know I could be a concert pianist if I just put yeah. the hours.
0: Yeah. It's just time on task, right? Yeah, Malcolm right. Gladwell said that. Well, I'm trying to think what book it was from Malcolm Gladwell. It might've been Tipping
1: Point. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, 10,000 hours. 10,000 hours. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Thank you. I love all that. And I love, I'm going to take you back just a little bit. You mentioned your graduate work, which I appreciate. Mm. We have a at the at the University of Tampa, we have a Masters of Science in Entrepreneurship. And I, I love your little pitch there for graduate work because for me it was it was the same. Graduate work was really kind of where things started to take shape for me. But I teach a class in our graduate program about ideation and and creative problem solving and recognizing opportunities. It's really a lot of fun. I love it. But one of the things I learned many years ago in teaching entrepreneurship was that the students who actually had a meaningful concept, a feasible concept that could have impact seemed to learn more because they had something that they could really, you know, wrap their arms around and they could really get into. And and so I've always been kind of chasing this understanding of what is opportunity recognition and, and can we help people to learn to recognize opportunities, I know that with practice i 've gotten better, and I think other people believe they get better at recognizing opportunities with practice and and i 've heard you speak about innovation and in your TED talk and the collision of intuition and knowledge and I think there 's something there was this what do you think about all that was you know was have you gotten have you got a formula let 's say for Recognizing opportunities, have you, do you feel like that, that it's that combination of intuition and expertise that has kind of allowed you to recognize more entrepreneurs? And, yeah. and kind of what could you say to nascent entrepreneurs about, sure. about that?
0: Okay. I know there's a I, lot of
1: questions in Well, here, but.
0: I wish I had a formula. I wish I was <laughs> that smart that I had a formula for recognizing opportunity. But here's the thing. I think that the world is full of opportunity. And, you know, I, we have these conversations internally in the company and then also, you know, with my close relationship, like my wife, I just think that there's opportunity everywhere and your job as an entrepreneur is to go seek it out. I think people waiting on the heels for an opportunity to come find them often miss opportunities and, you know, not to say that every opportunity will be successful either. But I wish I had a formula that I could really rank where I thought good opportunity was. I will tell you, I'm a niche guy. I think mm-hmm. that there's it's a lot easier to start a company in a niche market, just because there's typically less competition in that market. For me personally, I found that there's higher margins in niche markets also, mm-hmm. because you know when you have you know what they say uh, you know sell to the classes, feed the uh, feed the masses, sell to the classes. I I got that wrong, but So for me personally, I always try to look at niche markets, like the solar company that I have now. I wasn't a solar guy. I'm not an engineer. I don't have an engineering background, but I saw with some of the solar technology that there were applications for it that nobody was really Mm -hmm. chasing at the time. I'm sure people thought about it, but nobody was really chasing it. So what I'm really good at is getting stuff up off the ground. I'm really good in the early stages of product and company development. Not so great in the later stages where you're doing maintenance and, you know, trying to, I'm much better at growing market share than defending market share. if
1: mm-hmm. that any mm-hmm. sense? Mm-hmm.
0: And I recognize yep. that about myself. It's yep. uh, my strength is build something out of the dirt, get it up and running. Right. And then at that time, there are people that are much brighter than me and much better than I am at maintaining all of that stuff. Yeah. So, and I think that's a little bit of a curse. A lot of times you hear about entrepreneurs who can't get out of their own way. Mm-hmm. Because they are like it happened to Steve Jobs with Apple, right? The first time around. So yeah. So in terms of opportunity, I think you can create your own opportunity anywhere. And if somebody sells tells you different, I, they're not people who are opportunists. Right?
1: But for you, you look to markets where there where you yeah. think there yeah. might. And so, so a lot of I bet you read a lot. I bet you pay attention yeah. to what's going on in the world a lot. And
0: well, it comes back to my curiosity thing too. Right. You know, right. I was very curious about renewable energy. as Just as a human on the planet, I was really curious about being a good environmental steward. And my, that curiosity led me into looking at solar. And then I realized that technically creating a solar panel is not its not rocket science. It's solar science. But yeah. it's, uh, <laughs> you know, and when I realized how easy it, it actually is to manufacture a solar panel... Then I, my brain started going crazy. Everywhere I went, I saw applica- applications for solar. And because of that, right now we OEM solar to very large U.S. Electronic, electric vehicle manufacturers. Mm, okay. uh, Polaris is one of my customers. They're a uh-huh. four, $4 billion dollar cap. But I also was able to develop concept products for Nike. I developed a concept product for Thermal King, the guys who do refrigeration trucks. So for me, it starts with that curiosity. What can I do with this technology? So I look at it in two ways in terms of opportunity for for young entrepreneurs. I love disruption, and there's so many opportunities for disruption. Today there has never been an environment like we have now that allows people to actually jump onto that entrepreneurial path. I'm trying I wish I could remember the author. Gosh, she really deserves credit for this. But the statement was kind of along the lines of this is very similar to 50 million years ago when single celled organisms morphed into multi cell organisms. Mm. It was the most prolific time on the planet for speciation, but it was also the highest rate of extinction. It was the highest Mm -hmm. extinction event and the highest. So I look at today's business environment as kind of. You know, as kind of this 50 million years ago, when things were just growing and growing and growing and ch- and changing and experimenting, and so yeah, I mean, all when I go out and speak to young entrepreneurs, I there's opportunity everywhere. Don't be afraid to try something.
1: Right, right? I which love, leads
0: me to that failure thing. Yeah,
1: know? I love I love that analogy. You know, there are it's really fascinating. I think to to cross domains and fields. So going from from biology and evolution to looking at business, really fascinating when you start, I think, kind of using, using one field to help you relate to, define, and theorize about another field. So I Well, love isn't
0: that. it all interconnected anyway, really? Yeah. I recent I recently saw photographs, it might have been on social media somewhere, of like the veins of a leaf and how the veins of a leaf are mirrored by the bronchi in the, in the lungs, yeah. And, you know, and this uh, this circular pattern that shows up in like seashells and uh, snail shells and how, right. you know, so it is, I'm learning, you know, as I'm getting older, that it is kind of all really interconnected. We're connected. Yeah it's, connected. We really, we yeah.
1: yeah, it's kind of the chaos theory. That That's really cool. I love that. So let me ask you a couple of questions about challenges because you've obviously had a ton of success and congratulations on all that. But I know I've, you recently spoke with the Collegiate Entrepreneurs Organization, huge international group of students. I think there were about 1,000 students there to listen to you. And I know one of your favorite topics to talk with yeah. students about is failure. Yeah. So, And you're, la- you're smiling so, and laughing. So I'm guessing that you've had to deal with that and you have some thoughts about that. I, I know it's a very challenging conversation for a lot of people And uh, it's probably one we need to have a lot more. So what would you say about failure and the role it's played in your success? How have you dealt with it? What kind of advice would you give to the entrepreneurs that are listening?
0: You know, I I think that failure has this stigma that's unwarranted, right? And I think it starts in grade school, really, because it's a zero-sum game. Either you get an A or, you know, either you're passing or you're failing,
1: Mm -hmm. right?
0: Passing is good failing is bad, right? right? That's So from a young age, we're conditioned that failure is bad, right? Jeff Bezos, right, who is one of the most successful people of our time on the planet, says that failure and innovation are inseparable twins. And when they launched the Fire Phone, when Apple launched the Fire Phone, they spent $70 million on a failed launch. And Bezos' board, obviously, were not particularly happy. And his response was, if you think that's a failure, we're working on much bigger failures. Jeff Bezos in, in embraced the idea that you don't have true innovation without failure. Steve Jobs said the exact same thing. In fact, Steve Jobs thought that this idea, this, in, this intellectual idea of using your intuition to try things, right, to, to strike out and try new ideas was more important to a company than the intellectual capacity of the company. So early on, I stopped feeling shame about failures because I realized, for me, I learn a lot more in a failure than I do in success. And so, yeah, I do go out and talk about failure. And particularly for today's young entrepreneurs that are getting out of school, I was concerned that you know they grew up with participation trophies. And I know that um, I, I don't want to be controversial here, right? But and helicopter parents, really. I mean, that if yeah, you read yeah. what society is telling you. Oh,
1: um, I've experienced them as a professor. Uh, let okay. me tell you. <laughs> I'm
0: sure you have. So I feel like these kids have a little bit of a disadvantage because they've been rewarded for just showing up, and life, real life, doesn't reward you for just showing up, right? You got to work. You got to work yeah. at it. But I also kind of saw this idea that they wanted to kind of mask over failure, and they didn't want young kids to feel the pain of failure. Right by giving them participation trophies. So before I went to speak at CEO, and by the way, I've i never met a more impressive group of kids. I shouldn't even say kids; young adults. Then I had such I had an opportunity to chat with a lot of these. I still call them kids, but really impressive. It's the best of the best in the United States, in my opinion. And before I did the talk on failure, I had called a friend of mine. I think it's an associate of yours. I think you know him, Roland Kidwell from FAU. Yes, I know Roland. Yes. Uh, yeah. Really good guy, Roland. And I called him, and I just wanted to bounce. I wanted to bring real value to, to CEO this year. Mm-hmm. And so I bounced my idea off of him. He's like, "Oh, Jeff," he goes, "I don't know." He says, "We don't really <laughs> talk about failure in entrepreneurial programs." And I said, "Roland, it's about time to do." So, yeah, I think that failure is awesome. You know, of course, if you have investor money, that's always something that's you know a little bit challenging. But I embrace failure. I don't think that you get very far without it. I still fail today. I've spent three years on, an, on a patent that we did not receive in April of this year of 2019. And, you know, it hurts. It stings. It's okay to be discouraged. You're just not As an entrepreneur, just don't stay discouraged. Mm-hmm. So I have my days where three in the afternoon, it's just, oh, geez, you know.
1: Time to walk but, away and take a break. <laughs> yeah, sometimes.
0: Sometimes <laughs> you have to walk it off. But I just see these young, young adults are so paralyzed by the idea of failing. Yeah. And yeah. if they understood how much value they'll get out of failure, I think they would embrace it more. So I tell them, fail fast, right? Be- Bezos, when they launched Amazon, they failed at the first two attempts at Amazon Marketplace. I think they had Amazon Auctions and they one other company. But in, he failed in six months on the first try. They did all the programming in three months and then ran it for three months, could get no traction, shut it down, started the second one. That failed, and those two eventually morphed into Amazon Marketplace, one of the biggest companies and most successful companies in the right, world. Right, So, you know, I hate to use Bezos as an example all the time, but he's one of these guys that's a tr- real true entrepreneur. He's not afraid to take risks, and he understands that failure is a necessary step in becoming successful. Yeah. So I think it's really important for these young entrepreneurs. Nobody, nobody goes on social media and talks about their failures,
1: right? Right. What we so, see, yeah. That. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for that because I 100% agree with you. I had, I had an experience in my own teaching that really changed me in terms of understanding the importance of this. I was talking in the first class in the in the MS pro, master of science program with the it was the entering class about the role of failure, and I said. Failure is a good thing, (laughs) you know, it's never fun, but it will help you succeed, fail fast, get it over with, learn quickly. And I actually had a student that was so angered by the conversation that he dropped out of the program. Wow. And it really, I've never had a student walk out of my class and drop out of an academic program. But that conversation was so hard for him. And ever since that time, it's been a couple of years since that happened. I've been really concerned about resilience and ability to fail to to accept this failure and I see a lot of students and some of it's cultural. We have a lot of international students and it can be worse in other cultures believe sure. it or not. But I do see a lot of a lot of pain that these kids go through and and a sort of a lack of the ability to bounce back from failure and I think that we have an important job, those of us who are our age, in sort of helping that. And I really appreciate what you've said. And one of the things I learned in this conversation just now is the role that education has played in the way that we think of failure, passing versus failing. And, you know, I think we need to just at least think about that.
0: You know, (laughs) I don't know what the
1: answer is, but that's a really interesting thought. We've taught these kids from kindergarten that Or from first grade anyway that failure is pretty devastating you know it's
0: it's a lot i just want to okay well two points actually one when i was when i was in high school i had algebra one and i did not do well on it i wound up going to summer school that year to redo algebra one and i convinced myself that i wasn't good at math and that followed me all the way through to graduate school calculus where I was, I still maybe 10 years ago had nightmares about not graduating college because I failed my yeah. calculus exam. Yeah. It's craziness. It's it crazy. Is. But I also realized at some point later, in my late 30s maybe, I decided who says I'm not good at math? I used to literally, if we were out to dinner when I was in my early 30s, I would use my count on my fingers under the table when I was calculating a tip. And I realized I'm so clever in, in other things. What is it about math that that I have a difficult time with? And it was all that I just convinced myself. My high school teacher probably told me, you're not very good at this stuff. Mm -hmm, I internalized it. And then I spent the next 20 years of my life thinking I'm no good at math. And when, in fact, today I can actually calculate tips in my mind, you know. (laughs) But it's like anything else. The more you do it, the more confident you become. Sure. But this failure thing, it made me think of the availability heuristic, Right, it's it's why people think that they won't go in the ocean for fear of being bitten by a shark, but they have no problem going on picnics. When in reality, the facts tell you that only about five people a year are actually attacked and seriously hurt or killed by shark attacks. Most of them in New Smyrna, right up, right. up, the, up the coast of Mariah. <laughs> but five times as many people die from reactions to ant bites. But the availability heuristic is that oh, a shark. Shark attack is emotionally right. charged. It's, I think a lot of failure is that way also, that it's if you think you failed the first time, well, I'm afraid to try again because I don't want to fail right. again.
1: right? right.
0: But I, And I also talk to these young adults. Well, you've experienced it in dating, right? You didn't marry the first person you dated. So you've broken up with people. You've had some relationships that have gone well, some that haven't gone well. So that doesn't stop you from dating again. So why is it that failure in business should make you think, I can't do this and I should run back to a, A safe haven corporate environment. You know, it's very, it's it's just amazing how we process information like Mm -hmm. that. But the shark versus ant thing, I found really really interesting. Yeah, it
1: it is interesting, and and the power of people in our lives to tell us that we're good or bad at certain things. And I think as an educator, it's really important to keep that in mind because I had the opposite situation. I had a math teacher that told me I was really good at math, and I've and I've always been that been great at math. Now languages. I struggle with that because <laughs> I didn't do so well on that. But That's I, interesting. I think educators can make a difference. You know, we may have certain talents to things, but this is a really meaningful conversation, I think, and some, something we need to talk about more. So I appreciate yeah, I it.
0: It, You know, it's a, it's a hard boat to turn. It is. Right? But I think if there's more people like you and maybe myself who has the opportunity to, to talk to kids about it. And, and when I spoke at CEO, I shared my own failures. Right? And I think that's powerful also because these young adults, they need to know that you're sincere, genuine. These kids can read right through the BS, you mm-hmm. know? So I think, I think the more we talk about it, and, and there's, there's guys like Gary Vee that are out there talking about it. It's not like I'm a lone voice. I mean, Wayne Gretzky said, you miss 100% of the shots you never take. Michael Jordan's been pretty, he's shared a lot of, of, of his failures one of the greatest to ever play the game. I I don't really like using sports analogies in the academic setting because I think there's enough academic environments that we can, Mm -hmm. uh, examples we could use. But yeah, I find that all really, really interesting.
1: But I, you know, I think one of the things that that you said that that's really critical is that we have to be vulnerable and share that we've failed because it's real easy to look at people that have succeeded and sort of see the success. Mm -hmm. But, when when you can be vulnerable with somebody and say you know I was in your shoes and here's what happened to me here's how I managed it and look at what I've been able to do with it and you can do the same so thank yeah. you for that thank you well, for that I really appreciate that you know it does remind me that investors in you know you and I are both in Florida and our investment community is a little different than the one out on the on, on either coast actually. Yeah. And we've struggled with some of that the, and, you know, the, some of the analogies I've heard there are not unlike that, that investors out in California and Silicon Valley and in the, in the communities that have been investing in startups really are more comfortable with failure as well. And they know that's part of the process. There's plenty of other factors, but I think it's something as we develop our ecosystem here in Florida that, that we have to look at as well mm-hmm. in terms of investment. So let me move on a little bit. You know, with regard to... This is a great conversation. I think we could talk about it for hours. With regard to getting things done, you have you give a lot. You've started a bunch of businesses. You're very generous with your time. You speak with groups. You... I know you go out on on social media and say, "Hey, I'm here to help," and you follow up on that, which is actually very special. And, and
0: that shocked very me generous. that you that you found that. Actually. Yeah, yeah. You, you referenced it last time we talked, and I missed it until like kind of yeah. Yeah,
1: well. yeah. And and you basically have gone out and said, "Look, I'm here. Whatever you need, let me know." How do you? First of all, that's amazing to give back. So. Thank you for that. And, and how does that play a role in everything that you do? And how do you manage to do it all? How do you manage to, to run your company, you know, seek out these opportunities, take time to speak, take time to be on my podcast multiple times? <laughs> <even>. <laughs> and just, you know, do you have any systems, rituals, you know, what, what gets you through that? How do you manage all that?
0: Yeah, well, well, first, I think we all need help everybody needs help. Even somebody in, in your position, which absolutely, you know, I'm familiar with your background too. I mean, Tampa, the city of Tampa is very fortunate to have somebody like you in the position that you're doing now. You. I actually went back and read the CEO bios. So <laughs> I was very impressed, but Thank you. everybody needs help. And so few people are willing to ask for it. So that social media thing, I was just putting it out there. Maybe I know a contact that can help you. I wasn't offering to write business plans. And I think I even said in that post, you know, I'm not interested in investing in your startup or I don't know new math, right? So, <laughs> but if I can help you, if, if, if I know somebody at Polaris and you have a product idea, it doesn't hurt me at all to call my contact at Polaris and say, hey, can I introduce you to this person? Because the truth is we live in a country where who you know still matters, unfortunately, mm-hmm. right? It's still very important. And I've built my career on relationships. I'm a relationship builder. So, you know, if somebody needs help with something, I'm always happy to help them because a perfect example, we started the Amber Watch Foundation. We did abduction prevention programs mm. for kids in the mm-hmm. early 2004 to 2010. I think. that. And I was invited into that startup because I met a guy in the golf industry five years prior to that. The guy had actually, and it wasn't even the best conversation. They were using some statistics that my company had put together and weren't sourcing us. So I kind of had a little, you know, little meeting with the guy that mm-hmm. what he's doing isn't really that appropriate and just source me, give me, give us the credit. Well, a couple of years later, this guy calls me and says, hey, I want to do this. Would you have any interest in taking a look at our marketing programs? So I wound up working with that company for, you know, six, seven years, I think. Yeah, six years. And it came out of the blue only because we had a relationship. Right. So life is going to throw stuff at you down the road that you have no comprehension today, this person that you met at Publix or, you know, wherever you are, (laughs) because I talk to people, you never know. So, so yeah, I think that by putting myself out there, I get it back tenfold, but I don't put it out there to get back. I just put it out because it's easy for me to help somebody if they really need help. And out of that social media post, one person who has a cosmetic company that I knew back in grammar school reached out to me. Wow. And and I'm hoping I can help her. She's trying to structure an ask right for money for uh, for startup. So And I've done enough of it that I can tell her, don't do this, don't do that. This was my experience. I'm doing nothing more than just sharing my experiences with people. So I think that's easy to do, and I and I've had the help along the way. So let's be honest. You know, no man's an island, right? right? So, so I'm happy to do that stuff. In terms of how I find time for it, my perception of work time is very different than a lot of people. First of all, when I I think it's really really important to be efficient and focused when you have to be efficient and focused, and that's a lot of the, a lot of the challenges, distractions all the time, and even in the corporate world. You know, water coolers and stuff like that, you know. So for me as an entrepreneur, there's a time to just shut everybody out, focus on the task at hand and get this thing done. And then there's a time to play a little bit. For me, my work life and my personal life intermingle. I don't have this delineation. When I worked for BMW, I lived for the weekend. I don't live for weekends Mm -hmm. anymore because because I do a bunch of different stuff. I try to like I know I'm not very good at the paperwork side of stuff, right? So at nine o'clock in the morning, I'm working on the paperwork stuff. It's dry, it's very linear. So that stuff I kind of tackle in the morning. So in terms of you know, habits, I try to do the what I call the ugly work early. I would have made a horrible accountant. I would have gone crazy. (laughs) And I leave the creative stuff to later in the day because I know myself and I'm much more creative in the afternoon than I am in the morning. But you also have to have this sense of discipline that if you have to get something done, I frequently, frequently will work till midnight, one o'clock in the morning because I just have the sense that it's time to get this done. Let's get this done. Yeah. But also I have the, you know, the ability that if I get up at six and I'm feeling kind of tired. I'll sleep an extra half hour and I don't feel guilty about it. I don't beat myself up over it. So right. so what I've done is just kind of crafted this. It's all work, it's all my personal life. And Sundays are the days that I block out. My wife and I have Sundays together every Sunday. No no that's our full day together. And then Saturdays I work most Saturdays honestly. My wife works on Saturdays. And I think I had told you earlier I was really lucky that my wife has an amazing work ethic. She came from communist Romania. She Mm -hmm. grew up under Ceausescu's rule. And she sees the opportunity that America offers people. And she's a person to take advantage of it. And then when I was at university, my girlfriend for three years in university was on scholarship and studying was really important to her. And so I just adapted her habits. So I think one of the keys too is surrounding yourself with people that better habits than you do. Because, <laughs> right, that's great. I'm trying to think where Love I that. read this. I'm not sure if it was a Tony Robbins thing, but if your friends drink a lot, okay, if they just happen to go out and, you know, like to knock back beers, you know, a couple times a week, chances are pretty good you're going to go out and knock back beers every, you know, during the week. If your friends are guys that like to go to the gym and work out a lot, chances are you're going to spend more time in a gym than you are in a bar it really does come down to the type of people you surround yourself with.
1: Yeah. Right? yeah. So,
0: and I see it over and over and over again. If you want to, if you want to do better at something, surround yourself with people that are better at it than you are. I mean, that's, my that's
1: a My best friend in high school, her mom used to say, show me your friends and I'll know who you are. And, and we hated that statement when we were young, but it's so true. Well, I it's, think, it's I funny. Think that's Bro- great.
0: Growing up, my dad, my dad was an MP in the army very tough guy you know never spoke back to me, never talked back to my parents you know but I had one particular friend with long hair he wore leather vests and stuff my dad did not want me spending any time with this kid well today he's still one of my best friends in the world you yeah. want being a police officer
1: of course but
0: he was just he's just a good guy and what I take from my friend Tommy is this ability to be kind to people right with yeah. something my dad couldn't recognize in Tom right right he didn't so see that, yeah so you know our career paths are completely different but yeah I'm a better person for having my friend Tom in my life for 45 years or how Oh yeah
1: yeah and that. it's not you're right it's not always about career choice or or you know social life there's there's very special things in, in a lot of people that we take and become a part of who we are. So that, that's great. So, so I think
0: for an entrepreneur, one of your advantages is you can craft your own time schedules.
1: Yeah. You really can
0: be available during business hours. So you can hours. listen
1: to yourself and kind of know when yeah. you work best. And so that's, yeah, that's know great. Yeah. My,
0: uh, my web guy in Miami drives me crazy because I'll call him at two in the afternoon and he's on his way into the gym. And you know, at first I'm like, what are you doing? It's two in the afternoon, but I have to remind myself that's what he wants to do. That's He's his workout time. Yeah. yeah, it's his workout time. So yeah. be who you're going to be and you yeah. know, be the best you you can be, right? Yeah.
1: Okay. But, yeah. It kind of goes back to understand, knowing yourself for sure. So this has been great conversation. I think you and I could continue talking for a long time. But to bring this kind of to closure, i like to ask if there was one piece of advice that you could leave with our listeners about this whole entrepreneurial journey thing. What would it be? I know that's tough. One, one piece of advice. Yeah.
0: You know, last time we talked, I had, a, I had a different answer. But I actually thought about it after, after we had concluded talking. I just can't get past this comparison thing. You know, don't compare yourself to other people, especially with social media and influencers and all these people that just have amazing lives and they're broadcasting from Bali and, you know, the laptop life and all that. We joke in my social circle, it's not Facebook. It's, we call it the highlight reel, right? Because right, right. People are only putting up their best moments on these. So I think for these young entrepreneurs, don't compare yourself to other people. People's lives are complex in ways that you can't even imagine, but the comparison never does you any good, right? And oftentimes it leads you feeling a little bit lesser than. So, yeah, I think the, the one message, if I could really bang it into everybody's head is, and it's very difficult to do, you know, yeah. I catch myself sometimes as a, you know, as an entrepreneur, as an adult, you know, I wish I was Tim Ferriss, you know, I wish I had Tim Ferriss's <laughs> life, you know, four day work week kind of thing. But yeah, that would be my strongest one is try to get past this comparison thing. It, it's, it happens on a quiet level inside your brain. It's, yeah. you know, you're not actively thinking, oh, I wish I was Tim Ferriss, right? But it's that little voice in there. And if you can catch it and stop it, the comparison, because everyone's different. Everyone's path is different. If I had compared myself to kids when I was in my you know late 20s who had already bought their first house or were driving really fancy cars and I'm struggling in startups, I would have, I would have probably made decisions to satisfy that angst. Whereas now I'm so glad I didn't. I mean, I just love... The life i created for myself right and i wouldn't have done that if i kept comparing myself even to my best friends who were making more money than i was in my Mm -hmm. 20s or you know so yeah that's the one i think that's the biggest one
1: you know i love i love this jeff because i think our whole conversation has kind of if i bring it full circle it's you know everything we've talked about it's like know yourself be true to who you are You know, don't you can't worry about all the noise and everything else going on around you. And
0: wow, that's really good. I love how you just did that. You (laughs) just took everything and compressed Well, yeah, that's that's why you know that's why you're one of the leading authorities in entrepreneurialism in the state of Florida.
1: You're really kind, but but this has been really great. And I think there's a whole lot that our listeners are going to take from it. Thank you for your time and your generosity. Where can our listeners find you or connect with you if they'd like to do that?
0: Best place to find me is really on LinkedIn and it's uh, Jeff Haynes, G-E-O-F-F-H-A-Y-N is a Nancy, E-S. And then from LinkedIn, you can see my company website. So, you know, I do go out and speak a lot. I have a separate site for speaking, but yeah, and I encourage them. After the CEO discussion, I had 55 requests from these young entrepreneurs on LinkedIn, which was amazing to me. It far exceeded what, you know, I thought I was going to speak and leave, you know. So yeah, find me on LinkedIn, and again, I'm always here to help. If I can't help, I, I'll tell you, I, I this just not in my wheelhouse. But if I could help and introduce you to somebody, why wouldn't I, why wouldn't we all do that,
1: right? Yeah, yeah,
0: that's and, what I think. Yeah. And it's all There's about enough you. success for
1: everybody out <laughs> that's there, right? That's right. That's it's right. Not a Finite
0: pie. So, that's right. Yeah, doctor, thank you so much. I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to chat with you again.
1: Thank you.